As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Michael, I'm going to throw some phrases at you, and why don't you guess at what product we're going to be focusing on in today's product journey? All right. You're going to make me play a game? All right, let's do it. <laughs> okay. President Barack Obama, bedrooms, Zoom sessions. Um, all right. That's a very strange combination you picked here. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Well, those three by themselves probably don't make too much sense. Uh, how about I add some more here? Okay. Breakfast cereal travel experiences okay wait travel experiences obama breakfast oh 
Okay, so by President Obama and breakfast cereal, you're referring to the Obama O's, aren't you? I am referring to the Obama O's. Then you must be talking about Airbnb, the platform to book a travel experience, whether it be a place to stay or something to do. You got it. Airbnb is today's product journey, and we're going to learn how they went from the Obama O's breakfast <laughs> cereal to where they are today, which includes a little bit of controversy, but a lot of perseverance, especially more recently. Well, then let's get into it on today's rock. Rocketship.fm product journey. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So this story really starts out about 15 years ago when Joe Gebbia met a random stranger who's going through his stuff. So that sounds pretty creepy actually <laughs> yeah it actually wasn't too creepy of a situation joe was having a garage sale so the stranger they're just checking things out and you know what i'm gonna actually let joe tell the story himself here's joe gebby at the 2016 ted conference i want to tell you the story about the time i almost got kidnapped in the trunk of a red mazda miata it's the day after graduating from design school and i'm having a yard sale and this guy pulls up in this red Mazda, and he starts looking through my stuff, and he buys a piece of art that I made. And it turns out he's alone in town for the night, driving cross-country on a road trip before he goes into the Peace Corps. So I invite him out for a beer, and he tells me all about his passion for making a difference in the world. Now, it's starting to get late, and I'm getting pretty tired. As I motion for the tab, I make the mistake of asking him, so where are you staying tonight? And he makes it worse by saying, actually, I don't have a place. And I'm thinking, oh man, what do you do? We've all been there, right? Do I offer to host this guy? But I just met him. I mean, he says he's going into the Peace Corps, but I don't really know he's going to the Peace Corps. And I don't want to end up kidnapped in the trunk of a Miata. That's a small trunk. So then I hear myself saying, hey, I've got an airbed you can stay on in my living room. And the voice in my head goes, wait, what? That night, I'm laying in bed. I'm staring at the ceiling. I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I done? There's a complete stranger sleeping in my living room. What if he's psychotic? My anxiety grows so much, I leap out of bed. I sneak on my tiptoes to the door, and I lock the bedroom door. It turns out he was not psychotic. We've kept in touch ever since, and the piece of art he bought at the yard sale is hanging in his classroom. He's a teacher now. This was my first hosting experience, and it completely changed my perspective. Fast forward two years later, and Joe was living with Brian Chesky in San Francisco. The two had met when they were studying at the Rhode Island School of Design. Both of them loved design, but they also shared an entrepreneurial spirit. But there was one problem. Yes. Well, they loved living in San Francisco, but, well, I'm going to let you hear a clip from this Today Show segment where Brian Chesky was being interviewed. Chesky talks about those early days even before they had ever even launched anything, and it highlights this big problem. We always thought, you know, design isn't how something looks designs how something works. And we had this really simple idea. What if you could go somewhere and feel like you live there? That simple idea was born of necessity. 
Chesky had quit his design job and joined Gevia in San Francisco. Between the two of them, they couldn't pay their first month's rent. San Francisco rent. Yeah, some things don't change, do they? <laughs> That's so true. Anyway, it was at this point when Joe sent an email to Brian to try to solve this problem. And thanks to the 2016 TED conference, I actually have that email right here, and I'm going to read it. Oh, you're going to get into full reenactment mode? I am. I am. I'm going to be channeling my inner Joe <laughs> Gebbia. Okay, here I go. Brian. I thought of a way to make a few bucks, turning our place into a designer's bed and breakfast, offering young designers who come into town a place to crash during the four-day event, complete with wireless internet, a small desk space, sleeping mat, and breakfast each morning. Ha! Joe. Okay, let's cut back to that Today's Show segment. We pulled the airbeds out of the closet, we inflated them, and we called it the airbed and breakfast. The airbed and breakfast. Not exactly the most catchy name but no but they literally had air mattresses they <laughs> they weren't even offering beds to their guests so i guess the name was pretty fitting at the time yeah so their first three guests stayed on their air mattresses they paid 80 dollars for the privilege to do so and this essentially was the mvp for what would later become airbnb they would go on to recruit one other person their friend nathan a former roommate of course to join them they started exploring air bed and breakfast together, then paused that to focus on a roommate matching service, only then to pivot right back to air bed and breakfast. And then finally, they made their big launch at South by Southwest in 2008, the place where startup dreams are made. South by Southwest has always been the place to get your tech startup noticed. Every year, there are countless articles in TechCrunch and the Twittersphere about the most buzzed startup at South by. And in 2008, the most buzzworthy startup was? Not Airbnb. No? No. In fact, they only had two customers during that hopeful launch. <laughs> Ouch. And one of them was actually Brian himself. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, things weren't really looking good at Airbnb at that time. But then something happened, a completely different kind of event, which helped change their trajectory. It's not even fair to call it a pivot, though, but maybe a publicity stunt to raise some money. Let's go back to that Today Show segment. In 2008, without big investors, Chesky and Gebbia began covering their costs by selling breakfast cereal. And so Joe and I are in the eight, we're totally broke. And one night we're in a late, late night in the kitchen, we're like, we're airbed and breakfast. Airbeds aren't selling very well. Maybe we'll go into breakfast cereal. And then we ended up selling Barack Obama themed cereal. We called it Obama O's, the breakfast of change. We also did John McCain themed cereal, Captain McCain's. And that was actually how we funded the company. In fact, today we say we're like cereal entrepreneurs. <laughs> cereal entrepreneurs. That's cereal with a C. Get it? Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but they actually sold $30,000 worth of that cereal at $40 a pop, which is real money. I mean, it helped give them some of that funding they needed in those early days. 30000 That's similar to the amount that most accelerators would pay, right? So the Democratic National Convention sort of served as their first accelerator. Yeah, of course. They would famously join their second accelerator, I guess you could say, uh, right after that. In early 2009, Airbnb would be invited to participate in the famed accelerator Y Combinator. Paul Graham told them that they were like cockroaches. No matter what happened to them, they would find a way to not die. It was actually a compliment, a big one, and Airbnb took it as that. More on Airbnb's time at Y Combinator and the meteoric rise they had afterwards after this quick break to hear from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or 
invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Before the break, we heard about the very, very early days of Airbnb, before it was even called Airbnb. Joe, Brian, and Nathan teamed up to bring an idea into reality, one where strangers would pay other strangers to sleep on air mattresses in their living room, at first, anyway. In early 2009, Paul Graham invited the trio to take part in the famed Y Combinator, and Brian Chesky recalls how that invitation gave Airbnb a boost of sorts. Here's Chesky talking with Reed Hoffman in this fireside chat for Greylock Partners. There were two things. Um, the first thing was what Y Combinator did was it basically created a structure for us to work on it full time and live together. So in other words, we were all kind of working on it, but it was like everyone had other things going on in their life. And I think the enemy of a startup is everyone else's life. It's true, like you have life and you have vacations and you have conferences and you go away and you do other stuff. And it's like, that is the enemy of a startup. Um, you know, Paul Graham used to say, startups don't die, they just fade away. And so, um, you know, we basically decided for three months, Nate would move from Boston to San Francisco and we'd wake up at eight o'clock. We'd go to bed at midnight, seven days a week. we work from eight to midnight every single day. And seven days a week, you know, we'd get full night's sleep, but that was it. And we would, uh, in that dedication for three to four months, created this real serious rhythm where we weren't doing other things. We were totally focused. That was the first thing. The second thing was Paul Graham. I, 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 think that's, I think the second thing was Paul Graham gave us a series of advice that probably changed our business forever. Um, probably the most important single piece of advice I got, which is probably advice that is probably the most important advice I can give you or one of the most important advice is he basically drew out this chart and he basically said, it's better to have a hundred people that love you, a hundred customers that love you, than a million customers that just sort of like you. In other words, if you have a hundred people that absolutely love your product, they'll tell a hundred people and then they'll tell a hundred people or even 10 people and this thing will grow. We call it growing virally. In fact, almost all movements in history have grown this way as well. There's like deeply passionate followers and they grow it and they're customer advocates. And the problem is in Silicon Valley, the general wisdom is, I need to build some app, this thing, and needs to have this viral coefficient. I need to get millions of people to use it, and they gotta like it enough to share it. And that's totally the wrong way to think about it, especially if you're in a service business like ours. So Paul Graham said, all you have to do is get 100 people to like you. Don't worry about millions of people. That was totally freeing. Because until then, I'm like, how the hell am I gonna get a million people to do this if I can't even get my mom or my sister to do it? But I can, get, I can find 100 people. And so we literally decided, do things that don't scale. If you all you need to do is get 100 people to love you, do things that don't scale. Let's just unpack that for a second. So they got two things out of their time at YC. The first was just a reason to just focus and dedicate themselves 100% around the clock to their business. And I could totally relate to that. I took part in an accelerator and I literally moved to Columbus, Ohio and lived in a guest house with my business partner. And those three months, it was just three months of complete focus for us. And it was really meaningful to us too. And the second was sage advice he got from Paul Graham. Don't worry about finding a million people right now who kind of, sort of like you. Just find a hundred people who love you. Do things that don't scale. Yeah, it was at Y Combinator where they ditched the name Airbed and Breakfast and shortened it to Airbnb. And even after leaving the accelerator, they kept that same level of focus. 
They'd raised their first round of seed funding, $600,000, in April of 2009. And just a few months later, they raised another round of funding, more than 10 times the original amount of that seed round. But at this point, they were able to point to some real success. And we're not talking about $40 cereal boxes. <laughs> no, we're talking about over 700,000 nights booked. And of those nights, 80% of them were booked in just the previous six months. If you're looking at their growth on a chart, it would resemble a hockey stick. And you know how much entrepreneurs and investors <laughs> sure love that hockey stick growth. <laughs> but how did they get there? How was this growth actually happening? Well, their proximity actually had a lot to do with it. When they did launch, they chose New York City as their biggest initial market. And as Brian Chesky recalls, that choice played a big role in their early growth. Here's Chesky again with Reed Hoffman. The thing is that we were a travel product in New York, which meant, unlike other companies where the supply and demand, like Uber, the drivers and riders in New York, on Airbnb, the hosts were in New York, but the travelers came from all over the world. So people all over the world would hear about and discover homes in New York. They would travel to New York, and they'd also travel to San Francisco, and then they'd go back to their city, and they'd spread the idea. But the other thing is they would go from a guest to a host. And so the network naturally grew. Um, but we also targeted events. So, you know, um, we targeted the Democratic National Convention. We built D.C. through the inauguration in 2009. Um, we built, um, we were focused on music festivals and concerts. So uh, the World Cup, the Olympics, these are early, not the most recent one, but the one before. So events in PR were probably the main ways that we bootstrapped. And then we built this one-click post to Craigslist tool that Craigslist allowed us to do until they shut it off, like, a couple years into it, but we allowed hosts to basically, we built a tool where they could, with a single click of a button, click and distribute their post to Craigslist to get more distribution. And so the listings would get relisted onto Craigslist and then we feed back. We started doing a little bit of Google advertising, but the main way it grew was through word of mouth and PR. So word of mouth, PR, and then what we now call product-led growth. And of course, their inherent network effect all drove early growth for Airbnb. By 2011, Airbnb made its way back to South by Southwest, this time booking more than just two rooms. This time, they take home the coveted Best App Award. Yeah, Airbnb would continue to see that hockey stick-like growth over the next few years, continuing to grow domestically as well as internationally, with corporate offices sprouting up in places like Paris, Milan, Barcelona, Copenhagen, and several other international cities. So if you were to visit any major metropolitan market during this time, you could get a hotel. Or you could likely find hundreds of Airbnb rooms available for rent, from cheap bedrooms in an apartment you'd share with others to luxury mansions available to rent out. Of course, this incredible growth brought along some consequences too. Like? Well, certain places like New York or San Francisco, they were seeing Airbnb driving up the cost of rent in certain neighborhoods. It was potentially more lucrative for a landlord to turn an apartment into an Airbnb unit, and so the rent would go up. Or in some cases, Airbnb was getting press, but it wasn't exactly good press. Here's an example of that coming from my local Fox News affiliate here in Cleveland, Ohio. Inside this Seven Hills home, pure chaos as hundreds pack in Saturday night to celebrate the end of the year. 
But here's the problem. This, quote, New Year's banger was thrown by an Airbnb guest who never got permission from the homeowner. Admit it, Mike, you were at that party, weren't you? I, look, I haven't been at a party like that <laughs> since college, and that was a long time ago, Michael. And back then, there were no <laughs> smartphones, so I can rest easy that you won't find any pictures either. But in all seriousness, being accused of causing gentrification, losing trust with homeowners, or what Airbnb calls hosts, this is a big deal. It really was a big threat to Airbnb's growth. Yeah, and in a way, these are still issues for Airbnb. It's not like the company has completely solved these issues, but this was all coming at a time where these issues were coming to the forefront and Airbnb really was starting to double down on their innovation efforts, trying to come up with new products to offer. And it's probably not a coincidence. No, I think you're right. They they knew that they needed to innovate and they, they did. They continue to innovate in many ways. One of those ways was in launching a completely new product, Experiences. Here's Brian Chesky talking about experiences at Airbnb's own open conference in 2016. Let's say you want to travel somewhere. How are you going to know what to do? Well, you have a few options. A lot of people like shopping when they travel. You can go to a museum. You can go on a tour. The problem is it's actually really hard to meet anyone that actually lives there. How do you immerse in a local community? So what experiences are, are handcrafted experiences that allow you to immerse in the local community. These are offered by local hosts, and we have two types. We have immersions, which are multi-day experiences, and we have single experiences, which are just a few hours. And you can even do these, of course, in your own city. They started off with just a handful of experiences in New York, but saw these quickly catch on. And before too long, there were hundreds of unique experiences. There were local tour guides wanting to give city tours, boat captains wanting to offer private charters, chefs looking to offer private dining experiences, even Dave. Dave. Yeah, Dave. Uh, here's more on <laughs> Dave from Brian Chesky himself in the segment from CBS This Morning in 2017. We have a guy named Dave in um, Seattle, and he has a wolf conservation. And he said, I would like to give people a tour of a uh, woods, and I have these wolves, and you can hike with the wolves. Well, Dave oh, is now making $200,000 a year oh. hiking with wolves. $200,000 a year by giving hiking tours with wolves. It's unbelievable it really is and hey look i've had the chance to use airbnb experiences myself um not the hiking wolf tour but i did take my dad on a trip to italy and sicily last year and we took pasta making lessons on a rooftop in rome uh, we went horseback riding on mount vesuvius we did a naples pizza tasting tour and those were all from different airbnb experience hosts that is Awesome. Yeah. And Airbnb continued to grow its experience business along with other business lines like Airbnb Plus, a collection of luxury homes that have been vetted for quality of services, comfort, and design. They even acquired businesses like Resi, an online reservation app. By 2016, Airbnb was actually turning a profit. And by 2018, that profit was over $200 million. The next year, they operated at a loss as they continued to invest in the business and make other acquisitions, right? But they had already raised $6 billion in capital to date and had revenues of nearly $5 billion. They were ready to take their funding efforts to the next level. Yes, and at the end of 2019, Airbnb was putting the plans in place to do what most tech startups only dream of, take their company public. And they're planning to do that in March of 2020. Wait, March of 2020? 20, right? So here's Brian Chetsky in a segment with Yahoo Finance from this past July. You know, I never, um, we started the company over a decade ago, and I thought that was the craziest experience in my professional life. 
And for many years, I said, I'll probably never experience something as crazy as starting Airbnb. And in March, I think we experienced that. We spent 12 years building our business and within six weeks lost about 80% of it. And when a business um, drops that quickly, not only do you, there's this feeling of, of losing much of what you've created, but things start breaking, right? Like suddenly um, guests wanted more than a billion dollars of refunds and you know, like you, know, you can't really plan for pandemic related refunds because people are counting on that money to pay their rent or pay their mortgage. And so it just kind of felt like you're, you know, like on a ship and you just get sideswiped. And it was, it was, uh, it, it was, it was incredibly intense. It felt like everything was breaking at once. Everything was breaking at once. We'll learn more about how things broke and how Chesky and the team are picking up the pieces now, right after this break to hear from our sponsors. Before the break, we learned about Airbnb's life as a cockroach in their early days, a term that Paul Graham used for the founding team, which may sound bad, but it's really quite endearing. Yeah, and we also learned about Airbnb's sharp rise, making it mainstream for somebody to rent somebody else's home or even just a room in their home, and later innovating to bring other products to life, like different experiences that people can take part in from local hosts. Until? Yes, until COVID-19 hit. That's when practically overnight, Airbnb's business took a nosedive. Their planned IPO was put on hold and they found themselves in panic mode. And this wasn't just some damage control situation where they needed to manage some bad PR. Their entire business was on the line and now in jeopardy. Their business model relied on people traveling. And on March 12, 2020, it felt like the world really shut down. Yes, and in that last clip we played before the break, you could hear how shaken Chesky was. The late spring and summer was an incredibly difficult time for Airbnb. The executive team would meet daily in their war room briefings. The board would video chat every Sunday to put their minds together and help Chesky and the team figure out how they could stay solvent. Yeah, they did what they had to do to survive. They raised $2 billion, which was seen as an emergency fundraise. Part of that funding was debt, and the other part was equity, but the valuation was told to be less than half of what they planned for when preparing for an IPO. Airbnb also cut nearly every bit of its $800 million marketing budget, and then in early May, it laid off 25% of its workforce. But as the summer continued, COVID-19 certainly wasn't going away. But like we all have to do, Airbnb was sort of figuring out how to live with it. And they were seeing how they could not go back to the way things were, but at least, you know, manage the situation. Yeah. And one of those ways of living with it was focusing on what was working, even in the current climate. Here's Chesky again, as we go back to a Yahoo Finance segment. And keep in mind, this was recorded at the end of July this year. But one of the things we're seeing is a totally different way that people are traveling. Before covid People traveled a lot for business. They got on airplanes, they crossed borders, and they went to big cities. And in those cities, they stayed in these central hotel districts. And now a whole bunch of things are happening. People are saying they do want to get out of the house, regardless of what country they're in. They do have this need to get out of their house, but they aren't right now super comfortable getting on airplanes. They want to get on cars, and they want to travel not more than 300 miles away or 200 miles, a tank of gas. They're going for leisure. They're going to not big cities. They're going rural. They want to get out stores. They want to discover the outdoor communities. And most of all, they're like looking to stay in homes. And so that has been a surprise to us. Uh, maybe the extent that we've seen demand come back. What I mean by that is 
um, the last few weeks, we've seen volumes of business that are actually the same size volume as a year ago. When um, it was April, or even beginning of May, I could have never, ever imagined that it would have been that resilient. It's pretty incredible. Their business ended up being about equal to what it was the year before. Yes, the business world is still at a standstill when it comes to travel, but people are traveling. They're just traveling different, right? And it just so happens that Airbnb fits into that way that people actually want to travel outside of the big city with more space and privacy and some place where they could connect to the outdoors better. Yeah, and I totally get it. Uh, look, we took a week off in the summertime, as you know, Michael, and uh, my family ended up driving. We went to an area that wasn't populated, wasn't in a big city, and we rented a home. So what Chesky is saying, it definitely strikes a chord with me. Chesky goes on to admit that the increased business could also be due to pent-up demand, which could wane, right, especially over the winter months. But even still, it's a welcome surprise. The Airbnb team also used this time to innovate and open up new opportunities. Such as? Well, remember those experiences that Airbnb introduced a few years back? And it's been pretty popular. Well, they're still offering those, but now they're offering different kinds of experiences, virtual experiences, like this one from Mark in Ireland. Hi, my name's Mark, and this is Missy, and we want to take you on a virtual tour of this magical part of Ireland. King George landed here in 1821. Now, there's a very funny story, a rumor around the king when he landed here. <laughs> Along the route, we will delve into Irish history, culture, and the myths and legends you've come to associate with the Emerald Isle. Slauncha. Or you can learn to make authentic street tacos from Chef Graciela. Welcome to Mexico City. This is Chef Graciela. Today you will learn how to master authentic Mexican tacos from scratch. Twist and cut eight pieces, and I will create an oval shape around seven inches length. I have my taco here, then comes the filling, the delicious filling. There are loads of different virtual experiences, virtual escape rooms, trivia nights, even brunch with drag queens. And I admit, I haven't partaken in any of these quite yet, but they look like a lot of fun. And it is my wife's birthday coming up, and this feels <laughs> like a totally doable date night experience for us, maybe, if we can manage to stay awake after the kids go to sleep. <laughs> It's tough to do sometimes, I, I gotta admit. But anyway, these IPO talks, they're actually back on. It's rumored that the valuation could be as much as 30 billion, maybe even more. That may not be what the valuation would have been pre-COVID, but it's definitely nothing to take lightly. No, and look, this product journey for Airbnb, it's not over, uh, although some might have thought that the end was in March, uh, but now they find themselves at a bit of a crossroads. Nobody knows what the next few months holds for the world, but Brian Chesky can tell you that he and the rest of his team aren't about to take anything for granted. Now, let's close this episode with this last clip from the Yahoo Finance segment, and it's going to, I think, put it in perspective. Listen, uh, when we started Airbnb, we started in a three-bedroom apartment. The name of the company was called Airbed and Breakfast because it wasn't a bed and breakfast. We were literally inflating airbeds. The reason I'm telling you that is because nobody – thought it was a good idea to give three guys money that had an inflatable mattress company, renting inflatable mattress space. And so because of that, we had to learn to be really scrappy. And we had to learn to get a lot done without a lot of money. And that was in our roots. And then something happened. We got successful. And then we raised billions of dollars. And like every company that gets successful and raises billions of dollars, 
you, you know, you you start new things because you can, and it, it gets easy to easier to say yes than it does to say no. And I think that what the crisis did is it made us like look back and say like we can't do everything we used to, but that also that that has a benefit of us focusing on what makes us truly special. Airbnb started its rise with a laser focus, and it sounds like they know they'll need that same laser focus to persevere through 2020 and beyond. And my bet is that they harness that focus and come out even stronger. Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash Rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on Rocketship.fm.